I'm Derek Jensen. This is Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. My guest today is Deanna Meyer. She's a longtime environmental activist. She's on the board of Deep Green Resistance as the founder and president of Prairie Protection Colorado. Deanna lives in the Pike National Forest and is currently working with a coalition to ban the trophy hunting of Colorado's mountain lions, bobcats, and lynx. So first off, thank you for your work in the world. Second, thank you for being on the program. Well, thank you for having me. I always enjoy talking with you. Oh, it's always great to talk with you, too. Um, so today, let's talk about those efforts to ban trophy hunting of mountain lions, bobcats, and lynx in Colorado. Okay, great. Well, since 2017, I've been working with other people on different I, on different angles of how we could stop trophy hunting of Colorado's wildcats, and I got involved in a bobcat petition where um, someone had written up a petition to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission asking them to ban it. And the reason the reason why we were trying to do that is because we so many people in Colorado who hunt the bobcats were using these live traps. And so I can go back a little bit and we passed an initiative, Colorado did another ballot initiative to uh, ban all snares and leg hold traps for animals in this state. And instead of no, but what with when drafting that initiative, nobody really thought that they of the live trap issue. So how hunters got around that was they decided that they would use live traps and they could trap bobcats that way because bobcats and mountain lions are very hard to, to trap unless you have ex these other, um, these other methods of doing it, such as hounds or traps. So they got around that and they were killing and still do kill about 1,500 bobcats in Colorado annually. And they do that through the live traps and hounds, mostly probably, mostly live traps with the bobcats. And they sell them to the Asian market for fur. So, so that, that was something that most people in Colorado weren't even aware was happening. So our organization, Prey Protection Colorado, got involved in that initiative because not because we thought we had any chance of getting it passed with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and I can get to that in a minute, but because we wanted the public in Colorado to start learning more and getting more educated about what happens to bobcats in Colorado. And a lot of people were very shocked and had no idea that that was going on. They thought that people weren't allowed to trap animals because we passed an amendment and it went and we had a ballot initiative that went through that banned the trapping, which just included the snares and leg holes. So we wanted, we knew that the CPW commission wouldn't pass it because it was all, the commission was stacked with, as most wildlife commission commissions are in all of the Western, in all of the states, with uh, hunters, with sport hunters, um, and that not, more of them not ethical than ethical. And they, they totally denied our petition, but we got a lot of press out. And we had a lot of media releases and up to the point of us going to that meeting, we were able to really educate the public on this issue. And then not to just two years ago, a group of people went to the Humane Society quietly through lobbying and which we didn't know about till the last minute, lobbied the uh, lobbied the Congress um, to try to pass another initiative, a legislative initiative to ban the hunting of Colorado's wildcats, bobcats, and the mountain lions. And that failed miserably um, because the hunters got involved from all across North America and they flooded all of the senators. And most of them, the three people who initiated the bill, pulled out. All, the only, only one was left to stand by that bill. And they quickly shut it down. So then, and, and I always knew from the start that what this would need would be a ballot initiative because most people in Colorado and the history in Colorado, we've also done another ballot measure to ban the spring baiting and hunting of bears with hounds, and that passed easily. And the wolf initiative just passed. It was, it was a very narrow margin for several reasons on that. Otherwise, I think it would have passed uh, with a much higher margin. But anyway, it did pass narrowly to reintroduce wolves into Colorado. So the public in Colorado generally, you know, votes to end these unethical practices of hunting. And they will continue to do so is my belief. 
so I had somebody come up to me um, last year letting me know that they we were they were going to be serious and put in a ballot initiative to ban the hunting of Colorado's wildcats, including bobcats, mountain lions, and lynx are endangered, so they're protected, but we wanted to include the lynx so that if they are taken off the ESA, which we see many animals do get taken off, that they would still be protected. <laughs> so um, I was very excited to hear that that was happening. And I started joining the calls and getting involved in our organization myself and myself. And it was the best news I've heard in a long time. And the people who are involved are led by Coloradans and then other organizations are helping as well. And it was an amazing team of people who really know what they're doing. And I knew when I started going to those calls that this was going to actually happen, which was very exciting because ballot initiatives are not easy. They take um, a lot of funding for advertising and a lot of dedication and devotion from a wide variety of people. It's a lot of work. Um, and that's why when you get them up there, you want them to be pretty solid because most in a case like this, I believe, and so does our group, that it will pass um, as long as we get the signatures and the proper language in there. So, yeah, that's kind of how we got started on it. And um, a big thing, too, in color of what they do in these hunts which is completely unethical and uh, just it's 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 a very disturbing form of hunting. It's not fair chase. So when we look at like the North American wildlife uh, model, fair chase is always like prioritized, and they also talk about how animals shouldn't be commercialized, which bobcats are definitely that's what it's about is commercialization of wildlife. People are skinning them and selling them to different to Asian countries. That's the majority of what happens to our bobcats that are killed, the 1,500 a year. Mountain lions are killed by hounding groups. So we have several different hounders in Colorado, and they make their living off of selling hunts. And the hunt sell um, at a very low end would be $3,000 for the hunt, and then at the high end, about ten dollars to $12,000 a hunt. Many of these hounding companies guarantee the hunters a, a kill, a mountain lion kill, and they train hounds. Over 94% of all the mountain lions that are killed in Colorado, are hounds are used to kill them. Mountain lions are elusive animals. They're very smart, and you're not going to go on a hunting expedition without some kind of uh, means of, of, of unethical and, and very disturbing hunting um, to actually kill them because they're elusive and they're not, they're not easy to find, and they just leave people alone. It's very rare when a mountain lion is going to come into contact with a human. And so um, the, 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 that is a very, more than 80% of Coloradans polled are completely against the idea of hounding because these cats, too, these cats get chased up trees by up to 12 to eight. They have eight hounds. They chase them up, up to eight hounds, chase them up trees. And we've seen a lot of the videos of them bragging as well. And the hounds will hold the cat into the tree until the paying customer comes and get comes to that tree, which can take hours and hours before they make it. Because oftentimes the hounder will call their client and say, hey, we, we've got it. We've got him on the da-da. That's what happened with this Derek Wolf guy who was with the Broncos. you got to come up here. I'm on the track. You know, We're going to get this lion for you. And then they get that animal treat. And even with Derek Wolf's tail, he got lost for quite some time before he could finally find where the cats were baying this animal and the cats get up in the tree with the cats, with the, with the uh, mountain lions, the dogs get up in the tree with mountain lions and start biting and nipping at them. And it's a very, it's disgusting. And I think most people who would see how these hunts are conducted and then the people who, the people paying, a lot of them are out of state hunters to get this head. That's what they want is the head in the hive. They want to mount this animal. That's why it's trophy hunting. And they they sit at the base of the tree, and I've seen the videos, and they just get off. They get off on shooting this animal. And in one video, and this is oftentimes happens, the cat falls to 30 feet or however. It's usually 20 to 30 feet up in the tree. And, it, then, and it's still barely alive after they shoot it, and it tries to run off, and then the dogs just attack it. And Hunter goes up there and smiles his big smile and finishes finishes the lion off or says, "Oh, that took 20 yards and now it's dead." You know that kind of 
thing. They're always bragging about that and they really enjoy it. They really enjoy watching the animal die. And um, so the majority of people, when they know this, and I'll say again, most Coloradans don't know. And average what ha- the average amount of lions that are killed every year is between five and 600 lions from these hunts, these hound hunts, these paid guided hound hunts. And, um, you know, people don't know. People are shocked when they hear that. They really don't know that this is a business. And that, that this is our wildlife that is being completely tortured. You know, this, this is kind of off subject, but it reminds me of, um, I was looking up the different sounds that black bears make a while ago and trying to find examples of them because bears make a, a wide range of sounds. And one of the things they'll do when they're upset with each other is they moan at each other. And I made the mistake of looking up black bear moans. Um, and I was hoping to get... You know, kind of like uh, if you look up meadowlark sounds, you know, just there, there there, might be a website of just the different sounds that the bears would make. But what I ended up with was a whole ton of videos of people shooting a bear and then recording a video of it moaning as it dies. And it's just, sure. it's a snuff film. And apart from which, I just have to say, the people who taught me to hunt in the first place, if if I were to, and this is before cell phones, but if I were to stop, and take a picture of a dying animal, they would never have gone hunting with me again. Because if you wound an animal, what you have to do immediately is kill it. You don't... It's just extraordinary to me that... the My point in bringing all this up is I have I have seen, unfortunately, videos of some of that sadism you're talking about. Yeah. And unfortunately, too, they're very easy to find. If you go into, like, uh, like you just said. Like, that's that wasn't even your intention to see that. But that's what came up. And same if you look up mountain lion hunting, there's a lot of videos of them actually exploiting the kill um, and being really happy. And then then they always use, right, They even in those videos and now as a, an argument, which I really don't think anybody's foolish, the majority of Coloradans, I think they're probably pretty smart and they're not foolish enough to believe, but them out there they're trying to deny that um, this isn't trophy hunting because they are required to harvest the meat from the lions. And it's like, that is true. That's one of the regulations that Colorado Parks and Wildlife uses to justify the hunt of mountain lions because it's really not justifiable. And, you know, all the hunters say it's great, it's delicious, you know, we use it for this and that. And even, even if that's true, even if mountain lion meat is good, we all know that nobody goes out in pursuit of a mountain lion paying between three and $10,000 for that pursuit so that they can fill their freezer. And that's what makes it when we're talking about defining trophy hunting and, and most people would understand too. Trophy hunting is when you take a part of the animal and the main reason for killing it is to keep something from it, to, to put on your wall, uh, a memorandum of that animal that was killed. So you're going to, I know, I've known people who have the hide of a mountain lion as a rug. A lot of people do that for rugs, depending on the lion. If it's perfect, they want to stuff the whole thing, but they always keep the hide in the head. Um, so, you know, that, 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 I mean, we, we, we like it if the, the opposition would try to use that argument more because it seems so obvious in the public is they aren't stupid and they know that people aren't going out to shoot lions with hounds, um, with GPS collars on the hounds too. I mean, I've come across hounds on my land, which is another reason why I'm so devoted to this cause and, and want to end it. And I, it was actually on Christmas Day a couple years ago, and I was walking out, and I was actually very happy because it was quiet, and the, that was when they were also thinning the forest here. And I was finally happy to not have to hear the equipment, and it was a quiet day, and it was Christmas. And all of a sudden I heard hounds and they were barking and doing their, they were doing their calls and barking and barking, barking. And they were on this land, our land, our property, and they had treated a cat and they had big GPS collars, which have big antennas and they all do. And what people do is they let them loose from wherever. Some people have even let them loose and watched them from town when they let them loose in the mountains. And then if the callers signal that they have a cat, which would be, they would be staying in a certain area in a circular configuration clump with all the barking indications on the GPS screen showing that they were barking like crazy sitting in an area. 
But um, and I have heard of people doing that where they're actually in Aurora watching the screen because somebody caught got a dog up here once who had that collar on. They called the number on the collar, and that person had said, just leave, let them go. We'll come up and get them when they tree something. We're over here in Aurora. They were watching them on the screen. Um, now, is that legal or not through CPW? It would be really hard for them to bust them. They did call them on that, and they said that that's not what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be somewhere in the area that they didn't really care. Tony! They didn't go pursue it or anything of that nature. But anyway, when, when this this happened, I went to the – I just said in my head, I'm like, I'm going to stay here for 15 minutes, and if they don't come, I'm going to take all the callers. And then I'm going to call Colorado Parks and Wildlife. You know, I mean, what else could I do? But they did show up in like, like 12 minutes. I don't know how long the dogs had been there barking because I was walking. And once I got closer to the area, I started hearing. They could have been there for a long time. Um, and I just got there when they so happened to come up. But uh, they were apologetic. And I told them that nobody here appreciates this. We don't want our cats hunted. Nobody who lives here it likes this type of hunting and, and that they're not welcome, basically. I understand that, and especially on this land. And then I called Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and there's really nothing they can do because legally their dogs can, as long as they're coming to try to retrieve them, then it's okay if they're trespassing, according to them. So, I mean, and I thought about different ideas, too. Is it okay to shoot? Which I wouldn't shoot dogs because I like them so much, but I wonder if it would, would be okay to shoot a dog then if they were on my land harassing the wildlife that I try to protect. But, uh, and I brought that thing up to CPW and they got really mad at me and, and uh, said that it wouldn't be, but, and I said, that's not true. We'd have to go to court. And they said, well, yeah, I guess we don't have precedent for that. But uh, the point being when I was upset was like, what, why are the dogs allowed to come and harass and horrify my, these animals, not my animals, but the animals who live here uh, on land that I want to protect and that that is our family's goal to protect this land and the animals who live here. But um, yeah. I wonder, I Go wonder, ahead. and I, I would not shoot a dog over this either, but I wonder if they were attacking your chickens, could you shoot them? Yes. Well, that's that means that wildlife, of course, gets less protection than yes, they do than chickens. Um, yep, I guess because they're not property. Yes, and that was a, we we thought about that too, and I, I wanted to get more into that. We were just talking about that the other week, and then and I have cameras around my land too, and I multiple times there have been hounds on those cameras on my land with the big collars and the the GPS. So that's another just example of how this is not fair chase in any way. Um, I am, I do believe, and I, my, my freezer right now is filled with elk meat and I eat elk every year. And that's what, uh, that's the meat that I depend on in the elk come from the land. And um, so I'm not against hunting in any way. And it's funny because the opposition against this ballot measure is calling all of us anti-hunters. And we have several hunters on our coalition and who are just completely against this predator killing. It's not ethical hunting. Um, and it, it, people with Boone and Crockett and stuff who are a part of that, I don't know how long the Boone and Crockett will keep them on it because the hunters usually stick together. But, um, you know, who are that hunt all the time and are deeply disturbed at this, this type of predator hunting that has no element of fair chase and is not about consuming the animal or, or eating healthy food. It's, and it has no ethics in it at all. It's not, I mean, it's a very, it's unjustifiable to kill mountain lions and bobcats because it's not the main, the point of killing them is not for consumption. It's not to feed your family. It's, it's a thrill. It's a bucket list. They all, they all, and it's funny when you go to all the hounding sites in Colorado of the people who sell these hunts, they call it trophy hunt over and over and over. That's their language. They call this a mountain lion trophy hunt. And then they, they're, they're up in arms about us using that in, in the language, which we probably will not be able to use that language. We're going to have to use something else because, you know, the, the trophy is a hard definition. And, you know, the legislature gets to decide who and what kind of language is used because it has to follow strict uh, legal role. It has to follow very strict legal prescription and so you know we have attorneys arguing on both sides about why and why that why that should or should not from them be used in the actual language because that has a big a big uh impact on what people are going to vote on is the couple sentences that they read in the ballot 
they're not going to read the big long inserts as we, I mean, I don't. Oh, I don't either. And and, yeah, it's just like, okay, there's the question. Of course not. I don't want them to trophy hunt mountain lions um, or whatever. So, you know, that's one of the front battles, but it's just, I bring it up because it's funny that all the hunters, they, they're on their forums and on their groups, they're like, and they use, they call us anti-hunters in capital letters. And the anti-hunter is always red, <laughs> red lettering with like blood coming down off the anti. It's really funny, actually. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go a different direction for a second. Um, do you know okay. about how many bobcats and how many mountain lions and for that matter, how many lynx are in Colorado? Uh, Mount, the lynx is a very small number. I think it's a hundred. I'd have to look at they, that they think because they were just recently reintroduced as well. Um, bobcats, it's, this is the thing. Um, both bobcats and mountain lions, Colorado parks and wildlife have no accurate statistics on either one of those. Now mountain lions, and they base their population statistics on the animals do on the hunter, on the quote, on the dead animals that they get reported from the hunters. So they extrapolate from what is being killed, and they try to make a guess. They try to make a guess about the population, and they're open about that. People can go read on the CPW. On the mountain lion estimate, they say there's between three and 7,000 mountain lions in Colorado. So that's what their guesstimate is on the numbers. There's not any accurate numbering on what there, on how many there are. And when we've talked to some actual you know, ethical and biologists who study mountain lions exclusively. Um, they say that it, that's a hard one too to do with mountain lions because mountain lions also have about a hundred square mile territory is what a mountain lion, uh, you know, what mountain lions generally have their range. That's what their range is, which is, you know, I mean, hard for me to know exactly how much of that is, but it's 64,000 miles, a hundred square or, or 64,000 acres and a hundred square miles. And so it's a large, it's a large roaming area for these animals. So it's hard for them and they're very elusive. So unless they're able to like collar all of them, which I totally don't like that at all. Um, and, and it, they're not an easy animal to try to get an accurate estimation on population of. Um, they base it basically on kills. And I don't know how, but with the mountain lion one, how they have come up with their estimate of between three to 7,000. All that I know, and somebody else would have a better answer for that who who knows better. But all I know is that that's a wide range. I mean, that's that's a big discrepancy there. Um, and and it basically says they don't really know and how I, many lions are in the state. And the bobcats, you know, it the 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 numbers of bobcats that are trapped has a lot to do with the market. So like in some years, bobcat pelts are very cheap, and so they don't get a lot of them. And then other years, like when we were trying to get that um, petition at least exhibited in front of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission, um, the, the pelts were going for like 1,200 a pelt. And there was a high rate, there was a high, there was a high number of, of bobcats that were killed that year. So, you know, it's incentivized, the bobcat one. The mountain lion ones are like, it's just, it's the same as the trophy hunt in Africa, big lions. It's like, that's kind of the mentality going under it. Like, man, would I ever love to kill a lion? I mean, for one, they're super elusive. It's very rare to see a lion. And I, I was able to see one a couple of weeks ago on this land, which was to me like a sign and also such a gift. Um, but, but I mean, for them, it's like this, this great, um, you know, it's this great accomplishment, what, what they would say, which is kind of laughable as well, because you just couldn't kill a mountain lion without hounds, unless there was something wrong with a mountain lion. Which is another thing too, like when you get, and this has been shown over and over in a lot of the research done by people who actually study lions, like Rich Hopkins, for example, or Mark Elbrook, who have been for decades, that is what they've devoted their life to, is doing biology. They're biologists and they study mountain lions, that's their thing. And they have found in a lot of evidence showing, which seems pretty obvious, especially here in Colorado, when you look at attacks from lions, that they largely are occurring when somebody is taking out the biggest lion because, or the most established, the, the which normally can be the biggest lion, is the biggest lion. It's the oldest lion. It's the elder lions. It's the big males oftentimes that are killed. And um, when they do that, it disrupts the entire 
uh, the entire hierarchy, the entire situation, and the entire balance of the lion territory. And so then you're getting juveniles. And if you're killing, it's interesting too, because many times when you have a lion attack as well, the mom has been killed and these lions are juveniles. And this happened just a few years ago in Fort Collins. Some guy actually killed a lion with his hand in Fort Collins. He felt bad about it after he did it too. He was jogging or I think he was jogging and, and a mountain lion attacked him. It was very young. It had nothing in its stomach. And it was without any adult. There was no adult in the area and they searched. And I mean, my guess would be that the lion, his mother was trophy hunted. And it's certainly, I mean, I can't ever prove that, but it's a strong, it's a possibility. And when you look at the numbers, it's a strong possibility. And so when you're, when you're taking out the elders who know and teach the lions to stay away from people, because older lions don't want anything to do with us. And that's why we never see them. And I guarantee in where I walk, I walk every day all over my woods for years. And I know that I, and I've only seen a lion when up here that one time a couple weeks ago. And um, I've seen a couple on the road a long time ago, but on the land only this, this one a couple weeks ago. Um, besides, I've seen another one on the camera last year, but it's rare. That's rare too. But, um, you know, it's the, the being able to see them just very, is a very, very rare occurrence. And I forget where I was going with that with that train of thought there about not being able to see lions very much, but um, but anyway. Oh, uh, that they that they don't want to see us, or they don't want to oh, spend yeah, time with us. You. They don't right. want to be seen. Right. No, they don't. And they teach their young this, and they teach their young that that we're pretty much bad news too. And so the longer longer a lion lives and is established in territory. The more that he's going to have know like what he's going after, which is deer and elk. That's what they want. I have a bunch of goats that free range on this acreage that I live on. And a lot of, and I always have babies every year and they do not kill my goats. But last year I was taking a hike on the hill right next to my house and there was an elk kill there by a lion. And you could tell it was a lion from the way they stashed it in because it was a larger elk and it was right next to my goat farm. So they don't even, the smart li established lions don't want, don't even go by your livestock because they're smart enough to know that that's going to bring bad stuff and they prefer elk and deer. If there's a lot of elk, if there's elk and deer to eat, that's what they want to eat. And also they eat a lot of smaller animals as well, rabbits and rodents and all of that. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's when you have the conflict. Let's is talk. When in, go ahead. Yeah. Let's, well, two things. One of them is I want to point out, you said there's, 600 is it mountain lions killed per year in colorado five to six is five to average, six yeah. okay well if we mm -hmm. just say that there's three to seven thousand mountain lions let's just say there's five to six thousand that means that they're killing 10 percent of the population every year yes uh which seems, and that's really bad yeah um so that's the first and thing the, go ahead yeah no go on go on well the second thing can you talk just a moment about chronic wasting disease in deer because i think that's something that people should know more about and the relationship with that with mountain lions yeah um what uh, I, okay I was in, and then i'll come back to what i wanted to say before but um so chronic wasting disease is becoming more and more of a problem it was actually uh originally came from one of these wildlife labs and was released into the population accidentally and it kills these animals, and people can can contract it too. I guess if they eat the meat from an animal that has chronic wasting disease, but it's a terrible way for an animal to die. They get skinny, blah blah blah. It's a bad disease. Gets spread throughout the environment. And uh, mountain lions uh, kill the. They always mountain lions will kill the weakest of the animals. They're extremely. They're an apex predator, and they know how to how to quote unquote manage. I hate that word because it always means kill. Um, they for for the wildlife agencies, but they really do know how to properly uh, establish and make healthy healthy communities and healthy biotic communities, including healthy herds. So when the, they kill, and they have shown in several studies that mountain lions tend to kill the animals that are infected with the CWD, and they don't get it. The lions don't get it, and there's been research on that too. They don't. So lots of people are concerned. Well, don't they get CWD? No, they don't. 
because of their their I mean I'm, I'm not an expert in biology, but they have shown that that they don't contract it that it go, passes through their body and their their waste and their and you know when they go to the bathroom they get rid of the the chronic wasting disease so it doesn't affect them but they take out those those animals in the herd which overall of course is healthier for hunters um, because CWD can be a real threat and can really hurt and and not it's not healthy to eat a CWD animal because you can get the disease yourself and waste away yourself so there there's more research coming out on that and the research has come out is showing that that is indeed true and we know with mountain lions too they tend to take the weakest of the herd um, whether that's going to be the younger ones or the ones that are trailing behind more or whatever, they're going to take the, just like anybody, you know, they're going to take what is the most opportune and take the least energy to eat and, um, or whatever reason, maybe they know, I mean, that would be me just saying what I would think, but I'm sure it could be much, much more complicated than that even. I mean, we don't give our animal, um, predators enough credit for what they do, but yeah. So the chronic wasting disease thing is. It's a huge benefit. Um, so and I was going to say, too, with the, the lions and the, you know, the, the youngsters and the conflicts and the point, too, like a lot of the hounders say that the reason that they use hounds is so that they can properly identify a lion once they have it treat and tell whether it's a male or a female. And if it's a female, they are not going to kill it because, okay, cubs, female cubs or lions need their mom for up to two years to teach them, show them how to live. If they die before that, they have a much lower chance of survival and a much higher chance of human conflict, <laughs> much higher chance of coming in and getting the livestock, of coming in there. If they're hungry, you're going to see more of them. If the lion territory is messed up, you're going to see more of them. You know, they're just going to, you're going to have a much high, a, a much worse rate of, of lion survival in, and, because of humans and because of not being able to have that proper instruction for two years, because they need, they do depend on their mothers for two years. But anyway, over 40% of all the lions each year that are killed and shot out of the trees are female. So that doesn't make much sense to me when you're killing 40. And it, it was sad to see that, that 40% of the lions are females. And when you're killing those lions, you do not know where their babies are in, in they can tell if they still have milk, but lions and they do still have milk several times and they bring them in because cpw does uh examine that but even if they don't have milk they're still that that doesn't mean that they don't have dependent young they only milk them for a couple months they only provide milk for them for a couple months and then they the rest of it's a lot of teaching so anyway that's that's important too because what's happening is cubs are being orphaned um and the hunting season in colorado is just it's from November until March, and then they have openings also in different units throughout the end of April. So we're talking about a pretty long season. And it's interesting because elk has a very elk have a very um, short season. I mean, they they have a lot of seasons, but they're short. So like you'll have a muzzleloader that's a week, then a first rifle that's not even a full week, then the second that's another week. So you have several weeks, four or five weeks that are open for hunting on elk and deer. And for lions and predators, you've got a you have months and months to go and kill them. I mean, and they're not doing it in the same number. Yes, that's true. Like because there's not, it's much more. Um, these animals are much more elusive, and there's not nearly as many of them, which is another reason not to kill them. And then you add on to it in Colorado that the habitat in the state is being destroyed from overpopulation of humans, which is adding a much and the climate change and all of that are adding a lot more pressure on these lion populations of which we're allowing 10% to be killed each year. And then we don't have accurate population statistics and the hunting does nothing to, to improve wildlife communities. And that's the biggest argument that the opposition is trying to use against this, which the public might be easily persuaded. It might be the only one that the public might find some persuasion in, which is this idea of quote unquote ballot box biology and the whole idea and their coalition against us is called Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. And so they're saying, let the, we need to let the biologists, the science, the wildlife scientists and the, the science dictate wildlife policy, not the public. And, and there's, there's a lot of directions we could go in that because that's, that's just the, it's quite a twist. And they're saying the only reason I'm just listening to, I was listening to an interview before we had this from one of the leaders on this 
this um, opposition group. And their main thing is that the only reason there's wildlife at all and that we have any land to roam in is because the hunters. That's the sole reason because hunting is conservation. So um, I don't know how much we want to get into this, but this might be a good time to um, to remind people that even though they're called in various states fish and game, fish and wildlife, or fish and wildlife is federal, fish and game, or was it parks and wildlife in Colorado? Yeah, um, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. That uh, these organizations are no friends to nature. Um, can you that give so can true. you give a a two to two to four minute uh, speech on on that because people who don't live in in the rural west may not know this it's like they think yeah. oh you know you should call and if if you see an animal you should call them but anyways I'll just stop and let you take over yeah so like Colorado Parks and Wildlife which commit what the the regulations for our wildlife in the state are dictated by the wildlife commission and that's all the states in the west so you know with the Montana what I don't know what exactly they call them but um in Idaho and Utah everybody all these states have their own like fish and game commissions and the commissions are appointed by the governor and the commissioners serve certain, you know, certain amounts of time on that commission. And the the, regu the the requirements for the commissioners are pretty, you know, locked into sport hunting. So that they're supposed to have, like, out of 11 commissioners, six of them are supposed to be sports hunters. And one of them could be, like, one of them might be a conservationist who really cares about wildlife. And then a couple more are, like, like the sport hunting industry. So they're ha heavily stacked, and I could pull that up. Everybody could look at it in their own state, too, if they're in the West, and you'll see that there are, are there's, there's ways that the commission is set up and how they're supposed to be appointed and who is supposed to be appointed. And the vast majority of time, they are always completely um, biased into and are run by hunters. So like Colorado Parks and Wildlife, how I think of them is the Colorado Hunting Club. And um, they work for and by the hunters. Over 68% of their budget <clears throat> is brought in by hunters. Um, and it's set up that way so that they are more um, devoted to their, their, their wishes, to doing the bidding for the hunting community. Even though the hunting community is a very small population of Colorado, and a lot more money comes in from recreational um, and you know, wildlife viewing than from hunting but because of the way cpw is set up the structure of their budget comes from hunters um instead of the wildlife viewers and the people who are quote unquote using public lands to do something other than kill animals which is the vast majority of people who come into colorado and the vast majority of revenue for colorado as well but because the, these park these wildlife commissions are set up to cater to hunting um they oftentimes and most of the time are going to decide and dictate policies that are going to favor um, the hunting community. And um, we're, we're, we're in a really unique place right now in Colorado because our governor um, and the first gentleman are very, have done a lot to change the commission, the commission of Colorado Parks and Wildlife to be more friendly towards conservation uh, goals for wildlife. And so they have actually appointed five people to a board of 11 who are animal, who, who care much more about conservation and well, um, preservation than, and than ever happened before on that commission that I know of. So, I mean, there's people that like James Touchton and Rich Reading and there's, you know, Jack Murphy, who's just an awesome advocate for wildlife, um, and and anyway, and there's two other people I'm not real familiar with who are appointed who are also very much advocates for protecting wildlife. And so we might be able to make some changes with that. There's still more stacked on the hunter side. We got six against five. But having five that are completely in support of ethical hunting is much better than zero. And that's what it was before uh, our governor was elected. So, I mean, there, there's that makes me feel a little bit optimistic about getting different regulations in place that are better than what we have now. But in general, no, these wildlife commissions are about killing and making sure 
that the killing can last. So, you know, when we look at the North American model of conservation, the forest, I mean, there is some truth in this hunting conservation line because the only reason these wildlife agencies had to be put in place is because if they weren't, all of our animals would have been extinct by now. All of the game, as they call them, would have been, where there would have been no mountain lions. And the big concern of people who push through these these commissions and these wildlife agencies wanted to ensure that their kids would be able to kill animals too. I mean, they wanted their kids to have these hunting opportunities and they didn't want all the, that, that to be gone and to the beauty of being in the forest and experiencing, you know, hunting traditions, which I'm not, I'm not discounting hunting is, you know, that's how humans live. They hunt. So I'm not discounting any of that, but the reason that they're in place isn't because like hunters try to say, it's all because of them that we have any wildlife left. I mean, to a certain extent, but only because if these rules weren't in place, the hunters, them, would have killed every last one of them. And nobody really wants that when they think about it, because it's true, they would like that. They would like that, they, the hunters would like that opportunity for their kids. People like me would like the health world, the bio, our planet to be healthy and to not be all about uh, the humans and, and, you know, viewing all of our animals and all of our territory as something that's there to entertain us for our fun and pleasure. I mean, and I don't know. I mean, another, so many people that hunt in Colorado come from out of state and, and a lot of it is elk hunting. It's true. But one thing that struck me too, when we were talking about hunting and the, you know, the importance is that the majority of people who do hunt the elk are looking for the trophy as well. And that, and I talked and I'll just, I won't say the name or what wildlife uh, place this was, but there's a, there's an excellent um, sanctuary here in Colorado who gets a bunch of meat for their animals. And um, they say that when hunting season comes around, they get thousands and thousands of pounds of elk meat because the, the people who are killing these elk don't want them. They don't want the meat. They don't want the meat. That's not what they want. So, so, and that's not everybody for sure. There's a lot of ethical hunters who do want to eat healthy and who want to have connection with the food they eat. But there's probably more that don't, that just want to go out and kill because of the experience and the high they get from doing it. So, you know, that's kind of where I don't like that. And I don't think most people think that that's, that's okay. And I also think that a lot of people, there's a lot more people who care about the preservation and conservation of our land and animals. And, and then, then there are those that, that don't and that just want those animals there to shoot. So you, we talked a little bit, we have about five or six minutes left and there's a couple topics I want to hit. Can you, can you give us a couple minutes on bobcats the same way you did on mountain lions? Um, like how many, do we have any idea how many bobcats are in Colorado? Um, they're less elusive than mountain lions, at least anecdotally, because I have in my life seen a couple bobcats. I've never seen a mountain lion, um, but that's just me. Um, what do they eat and so on? Yeah, um, bobcats, What? let's see if they have stats on them right now. That's what I'm looking at. Um, they estimate there's about 12,000 in Colorado. That's just the quick thing that I saw there, but they also have a wide range and they base that estimation on who's killed. Um, bobcats mostly eat in, so we're talking about 1500 bobcats a year killed. So it's, um, and I'll look more, that number is just so like 15, off the top. So 1500 out of 12,000 is like 12% mm -hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. That's yep. a lot. And that's also, and I I don't agree with that. Not, that's not a solid number. And when we were working more on the Bobcats in 2017, it was very, and this, CPW knows that too. It's not, it's it's just guesswork. It's not accurate. Um, they don't have the means to have an accurate population estimate. And what they base that on is how many are killed. And then they extrapolate that through units. It's not a very accurate, in my opinion, and I, you know, and and you know, we can talk more about that. But bobcats mostly eat smaller animals, so a lot of rabbits, rodents. Um, they they prairie dogs, um, and they are they they are the same in terms of needing their mother for up to two years. They really they stick with their mom, um, and they hunt. They're finding more interesting information on both on these cats, on both of them, and that 
you know, before, especially with mountain lions, people were assuming that they're big loners, but they're really not because they're seeing more on the cameras and everything that they have a much bigger community than people thought and that you'll see a lot more of them together, including males with the females on these cameras. Um, so that's interesting. And I, I don't know a lot about that. I just read a couple articles on that, which I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, the bobcats, I, I see bobcats up here, very elusive, right? You don't see bobcats often. We are starting to see them more and more in Colorado. And I think that, uh, and people are seeing them in neighborhoods, more of the suburban in neighborhoods. They'll have a lot more sightings of them. And that, in my opinion, just has to do with, and in others, <laughs> scientific opinions, with how many people keep flooding into their territories. And, of course, the more and more people there are, the more you're going to see them. And the more they're going to become opportunistic when they don't have the food sources that they need um, or the land that they need to survive. Um, you know, and with the... the <laughs> I mean, from I, I, I'm so glad because I've seen so many of them up where I live because I have prairie dogs up where I live, and so we get to see them a lot. And um, they, they, there's a lot of similarities between the bobcats and the and the mountain lions. The bobcats, the big thing in Colorado is that they live. You can you can't really live trap a mountain lion; they're too big. But they live trap the bobcats and they hound them as well. And it's the same thing. It's like, you know, a very high percentage. Very few of them are shot, like, because they're they're running around and somebody had the opportunity to see it and hunt it. Not like that would be any much any better. But, um, so my, yeah. My last two questions are, how can people help with this? And two, as always, I want to help listeners to become activated. So what advice can you give on how they can do something, anything, even remotely similar where they live. Like, and it doesn't even have to be about hunting. It could be how, do, how, do, how does one get off one's behind and do something? So two questions. How can they help you? And then how can they help wild nature wherever they live? Yeah. Well, if anybody listening to this lives in Colorado, we are going to need to get 124,000 signatures as soon as our language is finalized, which we believe will be done by January. Um, and we have six months to do that, six months before the vote to do that. And so if you want to get involved, I strongly encourage and ask you to go to cats.org, which is C-A-T-S dot org. And you'll see a link right there that says volunteer. And CAT stands for cat, cats aren't trophies. Um, and, and, you know, there, there's a lot of work that we have and we're going to need as much help as we can in getting this initiative on that ballot and on ensuring that we have the funding. So anybody who's not from Colorado, we keep, keep up with our page. You can sign on to that volunteer. Um, we are about to, to launch and, and be able to take donations. We have to get all of that set up and it's almost there. We should have that up and running in the, when this, when this interview airs. It should be up and running to help donate. So if you want to help that in your own area, um, just I, I mean, I would love to see this ballot measure uh, kind of stuff for our cats in the West get more and more popular and have more people doing it. It does cost. It does take a lot of time. It costs money. and It, it takes a devoted group of people to do it. But anything that you can do to try to stop, we all any, anything you love, you can have some power. I've had so many people be so upset about a prairie dog colony or even this cat the the hunting of lions and bobcats and what they do is they get involved and they try to do whatever it takes just like the person who wrote the original petition to cpw that prairie protection colorado helped support and get out there she was she and still is very much a part of this just determined to do something to save the bobcats and she knew that it didn't have much of a chance or if any chance at all but it was something she was going to do it, and we got a lot of people to at least understand it, so she was doing something. So like you say, Derek, I mean, everybody has their talents, and they're good at something, and everybody loves. I mean, like it's like you've said before, I mean, if you love life, you know, then there's a million things you can do because it's all under attack. I mean, everything we love is under attack. So find what you love. Fall in love with it. Get to know who it is, and you'll find amazing things happen, like with me. Never saw a bobcat till I started working on that petition. Now I see them often. Um, never saw the mountain lion, or I saw a mountain lion on a road, but never had an actual intimate encounter with a mountain lion where I got to sit there 
for five minutes and take pictures of this amazing, beautiful animal until I started working on this petition. And the same thing with anything that you fight for the forest. I mean, they need our help big time now. They're trying to thin. They have so much money in the Forest Service to thin all of our forests. And it all starts at just caring, whether you're going to write an article, whether you're going to try to find a few people in your area that are also concerned about what's going on with these animals. And then starting from there, where you go and find the appropriate people to talk to, you find a platform where that wants to hear you, like your interviews. Since I've been in activism, you've helped me enormously. I would have done none of this without your help. But that's how we find we look for people who are going to hear us, who are going to give us a voice, who are going to empower us. And we do it for the whoever it is, whatever it is we love. We just do whatever we can. And I've seen thousands of animals being saved from this. And, yeah, we need something bigger, but this is where we are now. For me, it's like save who we can while we can. Because as I've heard from you many times, if you save something, if you save someone now, maybe they'll be here in 10 years from now. Maybe they'll be here after things collapse. And But if they're gone today, they're gone forever. And so, yeah, I mean, I encourage you to get involved. Uh, anybody in Colorado can get involved with the stuff we do with Prairie Dogs, with PrairieProtectionColorado.org. Deep Green Resistance has great uh, support and avenues to be able to get involved at DeepGreenResistance.org. You can follow them on Facebook, us on Facebook, too. And just... Do whatever you can to try to make a change for everybody who's facing, you know, some very, very detrimental times. And, you know, we can we can make a difference. You know, at least we can make a difference for 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 who we can while we can by raising our voice, by organizing and by trying to get people to care. Well, thank you so much for all of that, and uh, thank you for your great work in the world, and I would like to thank listeners for listening. My guest today has been Deanna Meyer. This is Derek Jensen for Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network.